to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most newsworthy city between Moab and McCracken, Kansas. Today we will talk about hyper-local news, college students informing the cops about their parties, and suggest college classes with a college focus. And of course, love and hate. Today with me is our co-hosts, Jared and Vanessa. Hello. Hi, Josh. Before we get on to our first topic here, hyperlocal news, I do want to bring up that our 50th episode is coming up in, what, four weeks? Like three. Something like that. What is What episode is this? Who knows? 40-something? This well, is like 48. I think it's like two episodes. Like, really. All right. Well, it's... 50, 50 episodes of this thing. I know. I know. Yeah. And we were thinking that it might be fun to get some of you all together so that we can see each other live and interact and, and along with that, host a, uh, a live recording. Um, and we're curious to see if, first of all, if that's something you would waste your time on. Um, but it wouldn't waste time. It's kind of facetious, obviously. Yeah, well, we do it. We're thinking maybe we'll do it at a at a bar event center here in Denver somewhere. And uh, you a guys... place where we could we can a place that we can bribe you from, basically. Yeah. Right. What can we do to bribe you to go there? Drinks, right. food. Yeah. Jackassery. Well, and I think we sh- this might also be a good time to mention to everyone that. This is an all-nude podcast, so mm-hmm. for the last 50 episodes, we've been totally naked, and so we have. you'll be able to well, see Well, we've been from the, the, the bottom up, but we're going to go full frontal. Bottom down, at, maybe. Uh, publicly. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but post, post to our Facebook wall um, if you have a suggestion on, on where you would like to see this and if you would like to see this and any other ideas to make our 50th episode inclusive and festive. Um, all right, let's move on to our first topic. First topic today is um, Denver and hyperlocal news. Now, some background here: about six years ago, Rocky Mountain News launched Your Hub, and essentially they were calling this an electronic town square, and citizen journalists were covering Denver as well as 40 suburbs, um, and it had a varying, you know, reaction to it in terms of positive, negative. A lot of people thought that there was too much uh, PR. People were just going on and, and posting press releases and that there wasn't um, enough serious news, serious coverage. Um, and, of course, now Rocky Mountain News is gone and it's sort of sat there. It's my impression with Denver Post. Well, Denver Post has uh, integrated it with their content management system on their website and it's receiving a new launch and a new uh, vitalization. And I really didn't pay much attention to this because uh, I wasn't living in Denver at the time. Jared, but can you do you have... Any sort of background? Well, yeah, no, I mean, this this topic came out of a uh, an article that was posted on streetfightmag.com, uh, which covers the hyper-local internet industry sites that are set up to, rather than being for the entire world content-wise, they're for a specific place geographically, and uh, they had a article about yourhub.com, which was one of the first ones of these of a newspaper trying to set up one of these types of sites and how well it's performed and what the 
writer in the article argues is that your hub is not really performed as well as um, it should have. And sure. that it's kind of, even though the post has done some things to kind of better integrate it, it's still pretty lackluster for how long it's been around and how many various sites it has. So, Because um, they franchised it. I mean, Rocky Mountain News franchised it to other publications around the country and, and they, they all jumped on board and then they all bailed out, it seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because it, I think they did that, first of all, too soon before knowing what kind of uh, the model and how it, it was really going to work. Right. And um, also, you can't take something that you're doing in a community like Denver and just assume that you're going to copy and paste it onto a place like, you know, Fort Collins or Colorado Springs or Pueblo. This is, I mean, Kansas. we're talking about, it's basically the antithesis of hyperlocal. You're, uh, you know, you can't. Um, you can't repeat a model and truly be local because you don't know what that local culture is. So you're saying it should, it should be community developed. I'm saying it should be developed with a community in mind, with that specific community in mind, right. not necessarily by uh, the community. Uh, not necessarily by the community. <laughs> um, in fact, I really am kind of, I, I love to hate on user generated content because it tends to be so crappy, which is what a lot of your hub is. It's people, you know, it's citizen journalism, which has a, a place. Um, and I can go into that, you know, forever probably, but it doesn't have uh, an audience necessarily. It's people writing for themselves. Well, yeah, and a lot of and, – and this was the thing when I remember when Your Hub first came out and Rocky was still around. And, I mean, we and me and other journalists just ridiculed it endlessly because it was this whole idea, oh, citizen journalists, you know. It's like, oh, I – like my citizen brain surgeon or my citizen mechanic, right? Like anyone can do this. And and that was the result. I mean, you had – there was the web component, but then you also had these papers in every single one of these locations. And uh, that, uh, you know, that model of just, you know, people love writing stuff and we're going to say, yeah, people love writing stuff. But what they really love most is – having someone else, some actual reporter, go out and do the hard work of sitting through these council meetings, writing these articles up where you get both sides of the story, and then anyone can go and uh, the citizen journalist can go and then just take all that information and insert their opinion, right? right? Or insert like whatever else they want to. And it's just really, really difficult to get individuals in their communities to, you know, have the training to be able to do um, basic journalism, but then also just like have the have the wherewithal and the time to to be devoted to something like that. And I think that that's something that your hub has just constantly uh, struggled with over the See, years. And I, I kind of disagree with what you said. I don't think that – I think that that's a problem right now. One of the biggest problems is that people don't want to actually have an article. They don't want to read an article about a city council meeting regardless of who it's by. And the problem with your hub is there is a lot of that there. There's a lot of seemingly, or at least what the editors are quote-unquote curating and promoting, is the kinds of things that they know the Denver Post is not able to cover because they've slashed their resources in the newsroom. And so instead, they're, you know, they're, they're pushing this kind of coverage by people in the community. Instead of asking the people in the community what they want to read about – and then developing coverage around that, or instead of developing a model that a delivery system that's different from what they're used to getting, they're not asking their audience, how do you want to receive local news? What do you want to talk about? They're not asking the right questions. Your Hub has always been an extension of what a daily print newspaper and a daily daily print newspapers that are are, you know, 
panicking and desperate for anything right now. It's their answer to what we should be doing with whatever technology, you know, we, we can get our hands on at the time, which isn't very much because they don't hire people who – they don't actually hire developers. They might hire one, but they don't value development. And this has come out very recently in, in conversations that you have with these people. They just don't – See, I think, I think what, what, what we're seeing here is that, is that you're taking an, um, a, more, a more traditional model of the newspaper – you know, which is measured in word count and column inches and things like that, and then and then trying to apply it to things where people are getting the news, which is in like Twitter feeds, you know, and I, and that's kind of what's good about Twitter is that there's only 140 characters to say something, but any more and and you get in stuck in bad writing, you mm-hmm. know, so it's almost like if they if they brought it down and made it into very very short snippets so people could report on short, quick things. You know, and then have that somehow keyword. But I mean, filtered. then why wouldn't people just be doing it on Twitter? And but they, exactly, you know, but to step exactly. back, well, they are. It, you know, but they want to capture this. They kind of, they want to somehow capture this. You but, can curate that in other ways. You could. But but to be fair, and uh, John Temple, who, the former editor of the Rocky Mountain News, who I think now is in Hawaii, start started up some uh, news website there. He actually wrote into this Street Fight article and left like a very long defense. Of, of this because it was really his baby. Your hub was sort of his um, creation and he sort of conceived it. And he pointed out this was this thing was – they started talking about this in 2004 and launched mm-hmm. it in 2005, which you know doesn't seem that long ago. But in terms of the internet and the web and all these tools, it is like light years ago. This yeah, was before Facebook really took off. This was before – YouTube. This was before Twitter or anything. Any of these other things that you know, we're all sort of like taking the, these yardsticks and sort of measuring it up to your hub. And I think the one thing that they do deserve credit for was being one of the first out of the gate to try to do hyper local, to mm-hmm. try to really look down the road and see, you know, sort of the general interest newspaper is going to die a slow death because it's getting eaten alive by the internet advertising you can't maintain you know the by then even back in 2004 all of classified advertising had all, had already disappeared so they were looking at well where is where is advertising by businesses still relatively solvent well it's in very hyper localized areas and they looked at the neighborhood newspapers the little weekly newspapers in the small towns where if you are a if you own a sandwich shop on you know on Capitol Hill or something like that, if you're going to advertise on the web or if you're going to advertise somewhere, you're not going to do it online where you know someone from uh, Kathmandu would be reading an ad for your sandwich shop. You want to advertise to like the people within a mile of your shop because you want them to come in, and so that's where you know this idea well we can sort of move into that territory. Um, the other thing I'll say to to defend your hub a little bit is that. There are actually uh, – sometimes I'll go out into some of these suburbs like up into Thornton or down in Littleton, and, and you'll, you'll pick some of the, that, those versions of, the, of your hub up. And there will actually be news stories in there about you know, the mayor or the city council. I mean pretty significant news stories, stuff that 10, 15 years ago would have ended up in the Denver Post or the Rocky Mountain News when they actually had people out there reporting on it. And I'd read these stories. And I'm like, how come this isn't making it? into the actual Denver Post. I mean, this is a legit news story that all of Denver and Colorado would find interesting, but it was up to your hub, you know, these local community things to be able to um, to cover it. And it wasn't typically the citizen journalists that were writing these sure. stories. It was one of the your hub staff that was covering these things. But 
for that, I mean, your hub is is actually probably covering things like up in Thornton, out in Golden, in Aurora. They're they're actually writing about things that otherwise would not get written, would not get covered. Right, and and you know, and to um, to defend them again, I guess. Um, no, the, I'm the only one that can defend them, John. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not, not really. To. I'm trying. I'm not really defending them. <laughs> It seems like the, that that with with this uh, rev- revitalization of it, with them integrating it with the site, that they're also going to have some more um, oversight of it, you know, to try to uh, weed out what they were criticized for. It's like writing about my snake oil product as you know the thing that's going to save. But that's not the only thing they were criticized for. They're criticized for audience reach, and one of the things that Hyperlocal is about too. It's not just news. We're talking about the actual advertising model. So a lot of Hyperlocal, and if you read Street Fight, which actually um, has uh, their one of their founders lives in Boulder. Her name's Laura Rich, and she's had she's held various um, esteemed titles at esteemed publications uh, across the country nationally, and it Groupon. Living socially, all of these things, those are the advertising models. Thrillist is big in Denver now, or I don't They're know how big terrible, it is. But though. They the are, Groupon but... Is not, it's not going to last. You talk to anybody that's in marketing and with Groupon, and what happens is you get a flush of people that show up, and you're, it's a lead loss, and you don't, you don't make money that day, but you get a lot of people in the door, and then those people don't come back. Yeah, and I have, I, I, I have had a little bit of a different experience. I largely agree with that totally, yeah. and most of the people who use Groupon do. I've actually found some local boutiques that I go to that I love through Groupon. But um, it, I, I don't also try to uh, you know, project what is the future of journalism. I think all of this is going to play into something. But the Your Hub, you know, the, the problem I think still is going to be that they're – so they're going to bring in an editor who's had print experience to curate more things. And, you know, okay, so maybe their taste according to the people who are already in charge is better than – you know, the Joe off the street, but we still have the problem of the technology, of the delivery model, of the business model. This is where this entire industry has gotten itself into a problem and where it's going to continue going down the same path because it refuses to value technology truthfully, which means they will pay for and hire software developers and programmers to develop these new delivery systems for news. Sure. They also do not know how and do not want to talk to their audience. Right. They do they would rather sit with their hands over their ears and say la 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 than have to go into a place and actually listen to people. Right. I mean I'm talking about newsmakers who are in charge who don't want to listen to comments. They would prefer to turn comments off their websites. Who don't want to yeah, I mean they just do not the people in charge do not have any interest in really making but do you a think difference here. On on some level, do you think that there's there's a problem when an audience is willing to listen to a citizen journalist as off as much as they are a trained professional Absolutely reporter that's working under, you know, uh, professional ethics? because we, we haven't journalists have done a shitty job at at literacy campaigns for journalism. Right. We've never valued our own work in a way that tells people this is something that you should pay for that needs to be paid for because if not this this and this can happen and here's what you're going to get right it's kind of spiraled out of control it's it's kind of like um how how i don't know i don't know if this is a a fair um comparison at all but how how all the tea party people in in washington right now 
They, like, they don't know what they don't have any experience doing this. They don't have any experience in leadership. But, you know, there's like anybody can be a congressman, I guess. <laughs> exactly. You know, so send them to run the country and then, you know, and we see have what a, happens. And see what happens. So it's kind of like that with journalism. Is, it's is all like happening anybody at the same time. And now look what's happening. I mean, we're devaluing uh, professionals. As you said before we went on air, we're devaluing, or maybe you said it. Um, you know, you wouldn't have a citizen physician, you know, a citizen surgeon. I wouldn't have a citizen pilot. Let's have citizen pilots. <laughs> I would love to be a pilot. I'll be the first in line. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, before, before this conversation devolves anymore into like a bunch right. of ex-journalists talking thoughts. and bitching about how <laughs> undervalued they are, they are um, let's put this in the context of AOL's patch, which is sort of the big elephant in the room for like hyper-local journalism and I imagine for your hub, um, looking at this very large national uh, hyper-local news entity setting up lots and lots of these types of shops all around, what do you think about Patch? Uh, Well, I've heard a lot of horrible things from people who've worked for them in terms of, I mean, basically it's a content farm, meaning for people who don't work in the industry that you're being, it's the same thing that I was talking about with tech people earlier, you're devaluing Products, So you're getting people to do things for free. So you're going to get that quality. You get what you pay for. And you're getting editors to work for very little money and work, you know, hugely overtime. And so that's what you're getting. And I also think that it's uh, it's counterintuitive to have a national company come in and say that you're doing hyper-local. How do they serve the interests of the local community? That doesn't make sense to me at all. Well, I would say they're more likely to actually generate enough revenue on a large scale to begin to make it work. I mean, isn't that, it almost seems like that is what your hub was trying to do before the Rocky got sold off and uh, it ended up in the in the Denver Post's lap and right. it's just sort of sitting there and they're trying to maintain it as a more of a regional. But the Rocky blood had blood. a community. The Rocky, ha- the Rocky was here. So your hub made sense for Denver. But for AOL to come in and say, okay, we're going to come into Denver and tell Denver, like, you know, start, create, uh, you know, I mean, they can do it. I'm not saying it's impossible. It just doesn't seem very, uh, it, it, I, it, I think it will fail. I've never heard of it, so I think it's probably not a relevant thing, <laughs> or they're not marketing it very well. We should move on. Um, <clears throat> moving on to a topic that, um, we probably feel less strongly about, quite, quite honestly. I don't know. I feel pretty strongly Do about it. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. There was, um, and you probably, I think, know a little bit more about this than I do, Vanessa. But it, Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, CSU developed a program in conjunction, or conjunction, in partnership with the um, City, of Fort Collins. City of Fort Collins Police Department, whereas if a student's going to hold a party, they would call and register the party and register a uh, host's name with a phone number so that if any of the neighbors or anybody calls with a noise violation, a noise violation only complaint, the uh, police department would call the host and give them 20 minutes to break up the party without a visit and without a ticket or anything like that. CU um, implemented that as a test program as well, and it appears as if they're moving forward with with it. And some of the numbers I looked at, um, which were reported in Westward by Michael Roberts' show, that there is a reduction in tickets being issued. So with school starting, how do we feel? If Would you, Jared, call the cops to tell them you were going to have a party? No. No, probably not. I mean, I remember, because I went to see you, and um, 
partook in many of those enormous, overblown parties up there on Capitol Hill, where there's there was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of drunken college students all convening in one place. And uh, I don't know. I think that I think like a lot of students would be very, very skeptical to. A, well, first of all, whether or not a lot of these students even have the capacity to think that far forward. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to throw up a party with like 300 people and eight kegs, uh, are you also going to be the type of person that's going to be responsible enough to decide that you're going to register this enormous raging party with the cops? And register it to you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what yeah, I'm Yeah, registering confused. it to me. So all yeah. of a sudden, you're going to be the one that's, yeah. that's going to be responsible for this. So I don't know. I, I guess I kind of have mixed feelings about this entire program. The statistics seem pretty impressive. I'm, I'm impressed that even, you know, they got 200 or 300 uh, parties actually registered under this program. Mm-hmm. But I would wonder, well, how many of these were the actual types of parties that they were actually wanting to target, meaning that they weren't the, uh, you know, the student leadership uh students and uh you know the having a club. twister mixer <laughs> yeah we're, we're big world of warcraft party yeah. and, uh, <laughs> a dozen land, of my greatest friends parties, yeah. and we're going to be responsible and register for the cost where it gets really out of control right yeah because they said that in the first year of implementing it at cu there were 208 parties 17 complaints and two tickets and i kind of find that hard to believe yeah I, especially with uh, the crime statistics on the campuses right now because they've both gone up in the last year and there've been some pretty atrocious things that have happened i mean on the cu campus last year there were murders mm-hmm. and rapes have gone up and um, just assaults in general so i really think I, I i'm very suspicious about these numbers and i think it's something it also like how many of these people who are registering for these parties are like student government kids who were pushing for this you know, and are telling their friends, like, register for a party or the Greek system or something, you know. I mean, that's the kind of information that I'd really like to know from a story about this is, you know, who is this really impacting? Because I would never have registered for a party. That would be stupid. I mean, I would feel like I would be, you know, potentially profiled in the future for any kind of, you know, is there, are there, you know, what if they find drugs? Does that mean my house is going to be watched in the future for drug use or you know i mean yes. who knows what they're going to do with the information i just wouldn't trust any of that yeah but in fort collins this was started in fort collins right yes. at csu and, yes. it, and it and it's you know not only seemed to be a success there but it's also being implemented on all these other campuses across the country so there must be at least some reason why all these um cities and Universities keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess if you're gonna have, if somewhere in between the idea of you being this student council nerd and having a dinner party and registering it, and having 18 kegs, you know, and drug use and, and strippers and ev- everything, um, there maybe is this gray area where it would make sense. Because I mean, you would rather have them call you to tell you keep it down, kids, before cops show up, you know, and it's it's kind of one of these distrust things, you know. Like I wouldn't want to let the cops know what I was doing, ever. No, like, exactly, I, ever. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's not not to get slippery slope to you know 1984, where it's like I'm going to be going camping this weekend. Is that okay with you, copper? But yeah. well, I also I don't think I mean. So I am a homeowner. I own a home in Fort Collins in within ten blocks of the CSU campus that I now rent and. Um, you know, I'm the only rental on my block. Everybody else is uh, professionals. I try not to rent to students, but I have to um, students who are getting their master's. And 
I think that it's really, I, I don't, they, they're touting this, at least they started to as, oh, this is going to bring the community closer together, but it really doesn't because all it does is encourage the people around you to make complaints, the people who live in the house not to go out and tell their neighbors themselves, yeah. which is what I would do. And I have done in the past to say, hey, we're having a party tonight. If you before you think about calling the cops, why not call us and we'll break it up. And then you don't have to. Then your name's not on a list. Besides, if the cops do end up coming out and they give you a noise violation, it's double. It's not they charge you more. Yeah, that's right. It's a double jeopardy situation. So it's really I just said there's all of these these. So they charge you more. So so if you've registered the party and then it'll be like I've registered my party. And it's you know my we were playing World of Warcraft, but then some of my other friends got over and it got really out of hand. It was like a really crazy World of Warcraft party. <laughs> yeah. It was actual noise complaints. Then I get a call from the police. They say, "Hello, we've had a complaint about your World of Warcraft party. Um, please, you know, get it, get everyone out of there, or we're going to come over." And right. then if there's a second complaint. Then the police come out. The police yes. come out after twenty minutes, oh, no matter any, what. No matter what. So tw- you have twenty minutes to herd all the drunks into to getting out. However, that it, that's going to be that they're going to leave. And if the cops come and the noise is not then at a sufficient level, I don't know if they gauge that by the neighbors saying it's gotten better, or if the cops determine then that it's too loud. Hmm. I, and that's what's not clear, and that's why we would have to go look at police reports to really see what I mean. What the hell's really happening in these cases? But it, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. But then, but then you get a you get a double fine than you would. Yeah, you get a double fine if they still decide to fine you. And mm-hmm. by the way, this is only regarding noise violations. So if they come out and bust the party and they find drugs or they find underage drinking or anything like that, any kind of criminal activity, that's still going to go down. That's not off the table. Just because you register your party and you kill the noise, if somebody's sitting in the living room, you know, taking huge bong hits and they don't have a card, they're going to get busted for drug use. So there's not – I mean, I, the incentives like then, are really – I'm not sure what they are. Then you've got – then you've also got, like, cops around the corner knowing there's going to be a bunch of drunk people trying to get the hell out of there fast. Yeah, and, you know, and th- how many DUIs? I right. mean, B- Well, I final like, verdict here. Well, I mean, I guess that – I, I, I say that from the perspective of the police as a strategy – for the police and the universities, it sort of makes sense because it just at least gives an avenue for people to be able to have these because there's another option they could do where they could say no parties at all. Or we could just send so many cops down here to these locations and completely crack down on the, all of these things across the board. And that's at least at CU and other colleges where you've actually seen these things explode into riots because the students are so upset that they're having their party broken up. Fight but isn't that right usually – and because I was thinking about this too because this happens a lot in both towns, Boulder and Fort Collins. Yeah. Most of the times when in, – in most of the cases in which riots erupt, there is more than a, a, just a party going on. There's some kind of big event. It's usually a football game. Sometimes it's a concert. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's like, like finals Earth, week. I mean like Earth, Wind, and Fire, which happened last time. But that wasn't CSU. I mean that was – well, they don't know who that, that was. was. Wyoming Greeley people. Yeah, whatever. But it, I, I don't think that that's the same thing. How are you, you're not going to register. Those things happen, and if you've ever been caught up in one, which, I mean, I lived in the middle of two of them, you know it, there's no way you're going to be able to offset that with a phone call or a registration because they, have, they start and they go and it's done. I mean, riots are just – the momentum yeah. is too much for yeah. but anybody my, to But stop. my point being that if you sort of allow for these things to happen with – you know, there's a permit for this kids right you guys can have these parties if you want and then the way that they can then go do it is 
then focus their enforcement and real crackdown type things on the bigger parties that aren't registered, right? Yeah. And you can at least know when these things are taking places. You can allocate resources otherwise. And I would venture to guess that, well, what's in it for the students? There has to be a reason why at least some of these students are registering this. And I would say it's probably because they get off a little bit easier from the police. The police are probably a little bit less likely to go and you know, bring in the riot gear and crack heads. Yeah at a party where at least the students have made some effort to register it. There is a buffer. Yeah. I mean, if your party's not out of control, and, and I, anybody that throws a party, why would – I mean, some parties you want out of control, I guess. But, you know, if you don't want it to be, if you're the type of person that doesn't, there's your buffer. You can say, keep it down, keep it down, and then, you know, if the cops call, you can say, well, the cops called. But we that's – so this is where my my anti comes in. So I agree with Jared. I think they're – I mean – on a certain level, um, they're absolutely – and really where it is, where I would say this is great is if there are really those efficiencies happening. So if taxpayers aren't – you know, if we're paying less money to send cops out to do all of these things, if there's money being saved, if there are relationships being built between these institutions, that's great. However, I see it as, as a, you know, a platform of encouragement for – Ninny neighbors who love to call the cops on any kind of little sound. I mean, they want to drive their neighbors out. I, I'm 34 years old, and this happens to me in the HOA I live in because I park like one foot within the yellow line for five minutes, and the cops are called. And it's these kinds of neighbors that do these things. So I think there also has to be. I would say that you know, let's let's put some stipulations on those on those. Yeah, we need a neighbor. We need to call on our neighbors. Like that time we were at your house in Fort Collins. And I was, was going to bring we that were, up. Like too. it was a wine party with adults, and there were maybe you and know Jim a dozen was to sixteen. And dog one was barking, talking too loud, and well, the ninny the neighbors are going to do that with or without any yeah. type of uh, registration. We need a buffer on the ninny neighbors. And but I, I, but, I agree. You yeah. know, one one other thing I might add uh, before we move on is that. The, you know, this right now is sort of a voluntary program, right? And uh, the kind of extension of this or where some officials have tried to push this type of program is to make it an ordinance. Earlier this year in March, I don't know if you guys remember where there was that University of New Hampshire football player who got shot up on uh, Cap- yeah. on University Hill in Boulder. Coming back from some big, uh, you know, there was all these humongous St. Patrick's Day parties and he was walking around and there had been a fight or something like that. He got shot and killed. Well, a Boulder City Councilman said, well, what we actually need is to make a party permit as an ordinance. So now it, it's not voluntary. It becomes city law. So if you don't c- have one, city, you're, you're fine. Yeah, and, and, and there are sort of – this, of course, didn't go anywhere. But he was – what they were looking at is there's a law like this in um, at Rutgers University, which is – where is that? It's in New Jersey. New it's Jersey. Corrupt. Yeah, yeah they, they, they have a party permit law yeah. there. And, it's also uh, New Jersey. Yeah, and so uh, you know, I, I think that, 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 that the actual impact of that when you start getting into law and enforcement and like how big is the party, how many people, over 30 people, under 30 people, World of Warcraft, not World of Warcraft, you're all of a sudden putting that all in, into city code. And that to me would be uh, way, way too big, brother. So at least in that regard, I'm kind of like, well, at least it's voluntary. Yeah, New Jersey's a police state. I don't think we should follow what goes on there. Unless you're Tony Soprano, you're going to get in trouble for something or have to pay out the ass in fees so you don't. But um, I anyway. think that sounds like college, though. It's, it is. It's not like life. Um, anyway, we should move on we, um, to our next topic. In the interest of continuing our welcoming back students, um, we thought we would come up with a couple brief ideas, whereas if we had to each teach a class... 
that uh, focused it on, on something Colorado, um, even if it's not anything that's in our area of expertise, what would it be? Let's hear from you, Vanessa. Well, um, uh, you know, speaking of Tony Soprano, mine would be a survey um, in local history of um, gangs and um, bandits in the state of Colorado. So going back to – or gangs and drugs, I'm sorry. Um, so going back to drug use in terms of, like, what the Utes might have used, the kinds <laughs> of, you know, maybe some, uh, you know, some, some early drugs, and then moving into – drug culture through via gangs, Prohibition era, and obviously the cartels right now. And so the point of this class would be It's what? a survey course. Oh, okay. It's a survey course. Okay. And, and I, I mean, ideally it would be history. literary, but I think it's history. Yeah, it culture. would be history. So, so you'd get a full picture of... Of the history of gangs and drugs. It's like gangland, but academic for, you know, I take the for class. a semester class. Huh. Jared? And I'd historical. take that class. Uh Mine doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Colorado per se, but if I was uh, uh, tapped to lead a college course there at CU or any other college, I would lead a class called Don't Post It to teach college students and actually anybody that the the limits of the type of shit that you're going to post online and on Facebook some and examples? all these what's other – What's a chapter? What's, what's one section of the class – well, this entire idea topics. kind of kind Breaking of kind up. of sprung Breaking for me up. because uh, my daughter, pets. who's uh, twelve, uh, she has a Facebook page w- within limits. But I had a uh, you know I'm not very comfortable with that. But one of the things is I sat down with her and I gave her this lecture about the types of photos that you're going to be putting on there, and it, and it all starts <laughs> with like if if you're going to be posting a photo or anything, you know. Uh, uh, you know, a, a status update. And it's not something that you'd be willing to like print out and go and put all around your neighborhood, tape it up to like the front of your school, tape it up to like uh, the phone poles all around it. Then don't post it. You know, so, so that's the, that would be the that's end of like filter. everything. Don't post it. Because I just feel like so many people, they will go up and they'll post these photos where, you know, we don't really need to see you in a photo of you shirtless at the beach um grabbing your boobs, you know, grabbing your boobs grabbing your ass or, or anything like that you yeah. you, you, you like throwing some people up or really something do, like though, that <laughs> and the level to, to which some that. people will just share every single thing that happens to them in their lives online like <clears throat> uh, and they'll just dump it up up for everyone the entire world to see yeah uh is a lesson that i think that college students and everyone um could really draw from we are certainly becoming a culture if we're not already there that shares too much Overshares. we're oversharers for sure i would advocate for that class yeah i would too <laughs> um mine is um it's a buskering class for <laughs> liberal arts <laughs> students um given you that you love this t- you you just love to talk about this about what a uh, buskering yeah you buskering. Know, you, you, you I called don't... it buskering before. <laughs> is that is it, I, I say buskering. I do too. Right. Busker, busker, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. I kind of like busker. Busker. It's almost it's like a dog name, but anyway. It's my accent. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what we call it in New Jersey? Oh my God! The but buskers. you know we have we have 16th Street Mall and there's Pearl Street and even in the little mountain towns they have like the little towny areas and you can set up and. So this class would teach liberal arts people, you know, who are like literature, uh, philosophy, these students who aren't going to get jobs, 
how to make some money. Terrible. Journalism students. It'll be like journalism students. It'll be like magic, you know, and juggling. You would pick your core, you know, talent. So some real, some real world skills. Real world applicable skills can actually go and earn a daily paycheck, or at least a nug (laughs) (laughs) that you can then sell. What would, so, what, would you, what would you busker at? <laughs> what would I busker? I'd want to be one of those robots. Oh, yeah. See, now so that. Funny. That's buskering. Yeah, and that, I mean, I mean, now you're talking like, okay, let's say like, like European style and like. Right, mimes. Yeah, well, yeah, mimes of sorts. But like here, when I think about here, I think, you know, the quality of our. But they have the busker festival my... on 16th Street Mall annually where people come from all over the country and busker. Or at least they used to. I don't know if they have that anymore. Buskerfest. Buskerfest, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, All right, we need to move on to love and hate. Um, what do you want to love slash hate on this week, Jared? Uh, I have uh, – I want to love on the eco pass that Boulder has. It's for uh, a pass that you get for uh, riding the bus, RTD, and it's just like your membership pass and you can ride the bus at all. But I always thought it was this thing uh, – I recently started – to work uh, in Boulder downtown, and the job said, "Oh, you get to sign up for an eco pass." And I always thought that that was something that that businesses, you know, the company that you work for, that was one of their incentives. Like they would pay some sort of company fee, and then they'd be able to get all of their employees the eco pass. But what it actually is, when I went to like the 15 different places I had to go to today to um, get my card, is that it's something that um, that Boulder did, sort of the downtown Boulder district put a, I guess, a surcharge on all parking and all parking garages Mm -hmm. where they took that money and then gave it to RTD to allow anyone who works in that vicinity a free eco-pass if you work there full-time. And that, to me, was a pretty interesting way to go about it because I probably wouldn't, if I had to buy an eco-pass myself, I probably wouldn't do it. But in terms of, uh, you know, encouraging businesses to, you know, locate in downtown areas – one of the biggest things that businesses look at is like, well, where are all my employees going to park? So just as mm-hmm. sort of a perk to, to kind of integrate in actual work offices and other things in these some of these downtowny areas, which a lot of times are less like real downtowns than just uh, you know tourist attractions because people are so impressed with downtowns now. They're like, oh, I want to go take a picture of being downtown. But actually encouraging businesses to do that. And I think that um, – I don't know if Denver has a similar – model for downtown businesses but if not that would be an interesting approach to you know trying to stimulate uh more businesses moving into the downtown areas to say you move down here all your employees will be able to get a free transit pass yeah that's great great i'm gonna love on it by the way love on it yeah vanessa um i'm gonna hate on kind of going back to the hyper local thing although it's not exactly that um like news local news stations and news outlets um, asking their viewers and readers and listeners for um, live shots of things like small fires burning on the front range. Because when you're driving on the front range and all of these people are slowing down to take their very bad amateur pictures, um, it, it really it, – it's, it's a very poor um, uh, traffic – uh, strategy. Sometimes it's say. nothing too. Sometimes it's, it's not even rarely, worth taking a picture. Of. Oh god, yeah, it usually isn't. But people love to forget and just slow down and stop and take. And it's like it's supposed to be seventy-five miles an hour here, but all of a sudden they're citizen journalists, Vanessa. I know. Yeah. I uh, and god how else love are we going to get the news about somebody getting a flat tire? <laughs> 
I'm going to love on, and this is such a love that I'm, it's just a straight-up plug, um, on the Real Social Club, which is the social club younger arm of the Denver Film Society. R-E-E-L. R-E-E-L, that's correct, like movie reels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how long they've been around, but they've thrown a couple parties that I've been to, and they're great. And they're throwing one this Thursday where they rented out Lakeside, the old amusement park, and for 35 bucks they'll have a beer garden beer you can drink, they have food, cocktail stations, um, music, movies, and you can ride the rides without lines. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. Yeah. I think they launched a couple years ago. Did they? I remember. Yeah, they're, they're fairly new, but they've done a lot of really great things. They put on parties during STARS. Oh, yeah. yeah? Yeah, they do like uh, special parties for like younger demographic. They do. Should we do the 50th episode of Denver Diatribe at Lakeside? Lakeside? It's this... We should maybe. Well, they, they, they don't allow beer. beer. They don't have. They don't serve alcohol. But they have to. They're going to have alcohol for this, they right? Are, maybe they got a special permit or something. Yeah. They probably nonprofits. Can, I don't know how that works here, but oh god. Anyway, we will great. look into that. Why I'd love to do call... a podcast from inside the Wild Chipmunk. I see. I've never been there. I gotta. I, oh that's my god. Next, I guess You're next week we'll love on that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not from Colorado. Well, that would that would explain. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> That would explain your lack of neck injuries if you right. haven't been on the wild chipmunk. <laughs> well, that's about all the love and hate we have for this week. Do visit us um, on Facebook by going through DenverDiatribe.com. Check us out on Twitter, at DenverDiatribe. And uh, be sure to let us know what you think we should do for our 50th anniversary and where that should be. Tune in next week. Thank you so much. Out. That's why I'm saying...